welcome to E-Commerce Innovators, a podcast that brings together the brightest minds in the industry to explore innovative strategies and trends in global e-commerce. Our host is John LeBaron, Chief Revenue Officer at Pattern, the premier partner for global e-commerce acceleration. Thank you so much for joining the podcast today. My name is John LeBaron. This is e-commerce innovators. I am the chief revenue officer at Pattern, and our guest today is somewhat of a local here, uh, close to Salt Lake City, or somewhat close down south in St. George. Welcome to the show, Daniel Johnson. He is the CRO and co-founder of Zonos. So, Daniel, thank you so much for joining the show today. Thanks, John. I'm excited to be here and uh, looking forward to provide some color and clarity into what Zonos does and how we help retailers with cross-border. Amazing. So let's get into it right then. Um, before we get into your background and learn a little bit more about the co-founder side of your title, tell us a little bit more about, for those uninitiated, what does Zonos do? Yeah, that's a really great question. So our, our mission statement is to create trust in global trade. Um, and the reason that's really important is any time that goods cross borders, there's a lot of unknown costs for either the seller or the consumer of those goods. And uh, we all know how important customer experience is with purchasing goods, especially if you're focused on lifetime value and wanting repeat business. So the way that I always like to describe it to individuals is imagine if you bought something from one of your favorite brands here domestically in the US and UPS, FedEx, whichever shipping carrier showed up at your door and prior to giving you the package said, you owe us an extra $50. That's not a great experience, uh, especially with buyer's expectations today. Um, it also more or less makes the consumer feel like their last interaction with that brand was negative, even though it had nothing to do with that brand, right? It's due to goods crossing borders. So we wanna make sure that anyone that's going to be buying or selling online knows what all of that is upfront uh, and help make it easy. And the reason that that matters for us in a big way is we feel like it helps, like Global Trade helps promote peace to a degree in that um, if suddenly there's trade restrictions and you can't get the goods that you really love from a certain brand or country, um, that, that affects you as an individual. And it, we think that there's a lot of prosperity to, to be had by facilitating anyone and everyone to easily sell goods to anyone else, regardless of what country they're in. Yeah, that's fascinating. And I can definitely echo the sentiment. I think it's a very hot topic right now. We have so many brands that we work with that are trying to figure out how to go global uh, and enter into certain international markets, uh, particularly starting with the cross-border function. So I think it's absolutely apropos. Um, to untangle that mess and to figure out where to start, what are the taxes, what are the jurisdictions, how do I, you know, what are the requirements were you like an accountant or an auditor in a former life? Like that feels like it's just super nasty mess to get into. Tell us a little bit about you and your co-founder and how you came upon this, uh, this idea. Yeah, that's a really great question. So my background prior to getting into this, which I 
kind of drove or dove straight into the deep end uh, is a sales background. So passionate salesperson. And I met the founder of the company, Clint Reed, years ago. We're actually, we were related through marriage. Um, but he's really got the founding story, which is he worked for uh, UPS as an international account executive where he would create plans for uh, his customers to sell globally. Yeah. And he had a customer selling to Canada and he came up with a huge plan to help them grow their cross-border business within Canada and outside of Canada as well. And spent a ton of time putting the plan in place, went and visited the customer, presented it to them. And the customer more or less threw their arms up in the air and said, that's it. I'm turning off international. This is just way too complicated. Yeah. So all of that work kind of had the inverse effect of what he was pursuing. So the thought that he had was, if you're not going to sell your goods, then I will. Yeah. And it, it started with creating sister sites to e-commerce brands, but that was short-lived. Um, and the sister site would be global specific because maintaining two websites with inventory and yep. product descriptions and big catalogs. It was just a big lift. And that pivoted to us more or less taking over the cross-border experience entirely via a hosted checkout. Um, and we would do the customer service. We would do the shipping on our carrier accounts. And about nine years ago, so the, the company was founded in late 2009. Yeah. But nine years ago, we pivoted to we're going to be a technology first company um, and not focus on taking over someone's cross-border experience, but make, making the things that we're really good at easy for them while enabling them to do the things that they're really good at, which is servicing their customers, owning their relationships with their shipping carriers, e-commerce platforms, et cetera. Yeah, that's amazing. So was there ever a time to the founder story, I guess, you know, if you're not going to sell your goods, I will. Did you ever, did they, did you guys ever buy inventory? Did you ever kind of go down that path or was it always like a service or a technology play? We, we never bought inventory in bulk and sold it. It was more, we bought the inventory if someone completed a transaction in our international checkout. So we would buy the goods from that retailer and more or less take on ownership. We, we were the merchant of record, uh, seller of record. And again, we pretty much did it all but that that would be the greatest extent that we ever purchased inventory from them was when a transaction was completed in the checkout interesting okay so now you're down this path are there where are your most kind of like popular countries i guess where folks want to try to enter in and know their areas of the world that you don't necessarily cover today and why not yeah that's a great question so uh, 80% of our customer base is in the U.S. Canada is the U.S.'s largest trade partner in terms of goods being imported into Canada from the U.S. Yeah. So Canada is a really strong lane for a lot of our U.S. customers, but uh, a lot of countries in Europe, Australia, but I'd say it's at least if you're already doing cross-border, the usual suspects, we do, it's, it's over 200 countries that we're able to facilitate uh, transactions or calculations. Wow. Um, and that can be from any origin to any destination. So really the only limitation 
we have in terms of servicing our customers is embargoes or limitations that are in place with shipping carriers. So if someone's not able to ship goods into a country, then we can't help them. But as long as they are, we can. And there's some really complex countries. Brazil would be one, India is another. Yeah. That we've been able to crack the code there and help our customers sell there successfully. Oh, that's fascinating. Uh, I guess back to the topic kind of, of innovation, uh, and maybe you can preface this a little bit with the t- who are your customers, right? Like I, I know you have a subset and I can imagine all the different kind of parties involved from brands to carriers to retailers or marketplaces themselves uh, could be interested in this, you know, figuring out or untangling this mess. But what do you feel like are the most powerful innovations that you and the team have kind of brought to bear uh, that you're most proud of? Yeah, that's a great question. So customer base in terms of count is primarily made up of brands that sell direct to whomever their consumer is online um, via their store that they own and operate. We do also work with several marketplaces um, and several shipping carriers integrate our technology directly into their platforms. And some of the interesting use cases with the marketplaces is, uh, you know, if they want that Amazon experience for their customers. So we will help them figure out what all of the costs are going to be that they can build it into their catalog pricing. And then more or less at time of checkout, the only thing that their customers are paying for is their local sales tax, which we can assist with that as well. But that way they're not getting surprised at delivery with all of these fees. One and two, there's some of the sticker shock of having the total landed cost of shipping duties, taxes, other import fees, um, that gets diminished by building some of that into the cost as they're shopping. So really empowering any, any type of retailer platform uh, marketplace shipper to deliver the experience that they're pursuing for their customer base. And I, I, in terms of innovation, I'd say that really came from us focusing to an API first company, uh, very tech forward. And by having that mindset, we're able to deliver our product to our customers the way that they want to use it. Yes, we have plugins and they're great. Um, and they serve their purpose. We have a lot of customers that use those plugins, but in terms of innovation and different use cases, the most innovative things have come from leveraging those APIs and building a custom product based on what whomever we're working with is looking to achieve. Yeah, I think that's really, really good. And, you know, for folks that are listening that aren't really aware of the geography, you know, you guys are based south of Salt Lake City, several hours, probably closer to Las Vegas, honestly, than to Salt Lake City. Um, How is it, you know, that's an emerging kind of tech epicenter. I think they actually just renamed the the major university down there, something to do with tech, right? So is it hard to recruit? Is it hard to find folks? Um, Are you having to have like a remote culture at all? Are you able to kind of find folks um, nearby that have the technical competencies to be able to build out this API first type of organization? Yeah, that's actually a great question. Um, So we relocated the company from Northern Utah, Salt Lake area to St. George, which you're right, we are 
quite a bit closer to Vegas and right by Zion National Park. Um, but we decided to do that for lifestyle change. And uh, when we first made the move, we thought we were going to be the only tech company in the area, which was not accurate. Um, but what we've found is St. George is a very desirable place to live. And there's a lot of great talent here. And the, the whole COVID movement of moving to remote work helped facilitate that. So I guess one example that I'd use is a data scientist that has joined our team recently, six months ago or so. And he was working for another company, but working fully remote and wanted to get back in an office and interact with others and leading a large team there. And now he's leading a team here and has had a, a massive impact. Um, so we have actually not struggled to find talent as much as one might think due to the remote culture and then people that have done it for a couple of years are ready to get back in the office. Um, and we, we definitely prefer in-office work. And that's primarily because what we do is very complicated and intricate. So getting someone who maybe they understand data science, but aren't familiar with cross-border, getting them up to speed is a lot easier and happens a lot faster when they're in the office and rubbing shoulders with other people from Zonos. Um, we do have a global team. So we have some remote employees in the US, but we also have remote employees in the UK, Italy, uh, India, other parts of Europe. We have an office in Australia. So we have a team there that they're not remote. They work in office in Australia and support the APAC region. So we're kind of all over, but we definitely lean into being in the office because we found that's the best experience for our employees, which results in the best experience for our customers. Yeah, that's amazing. Back to the topic of innovation, I think, you know, again, you have these different cohorts or segments of customers that you're working with. You've now been working with them for many years, some of them, um, and you've been able to kind of see their growth. What are what are you all doing to basically accelerate the growth of the brands and the customers that you're working with? And how have you seen that manifested uh, over the past several years? Yeah, that's, that's a really good question. So we, some of our customers have been our customer for over 10 years. Um, and we've been able to bring them along and help them grow a couple of ways. One is as we've pivoted over time and, uh, rolled out new products or offerings, changed our business model. We, they've done that along with us. Um, but we've also been able to build a strong partner network. So when we moved from being focused on services and doing shipping and doing everything ourselves to facilitating it so that the brand or retailer could do it on their own, it enabled us to create partnerships with UPS, um, FedEx and, you know, with them, they always tell me, I, we, I can't say we're partners because technically we're not partners, but they refer us in, we have agreements with them. Um, but we also do that with three PLs, e-commerce platforms, payment providers, uh, SEO firms and development shops. So more or less anyone that wants to help whomever their customer is sell across border, they bring their customers to us because they know we're agnostic and we'll work with anyone. 
But that also empowers us to position those partners with our customers when they're looking for solutions. So I'd say it has been those two things is bringing those customers along with us as we pivot and innovate over time and two, bringing our partners along with us to make sure that we're helping them get value with their customers and our customers get value with them. Yeah. And I guess as you take a step back and think through the way you've innovated brands or your customers, as well as maybe just taking a step back and saying, you know, what is it that you feel like brands, knowing what you know, what is it the brands need to do in order to stay super competitive? Like what are going to be the, the winning combination basically um, to be leaders in their segments online? Yeah. And, and this is something that I'm really passionate about and think that we can all relate to, which is customer experience. We're all customers in one way or another. So I think focusing on their experience as opposed to dollars in the door uh, naturally naturally will result in getting dollars in the door um, due to if they have a good experience with you, they're delighted when they interact with you or your team, they're going to come back and they're going to buy again and again. And they're, if someone says, hey, I'm looking for X type of item, they're going to say, you're crazy if you don't buy from this brand, as long as you focus on that experience. And I, I get the appeal to focusing on, let's get dollars in the door as quickly as we can. Um, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that doesn't matter, but I think playing the long game and focusing on lifetime value and profitability over nothing matters more than dollars in the door is really how you become a leader in your space and um, own whatever market it is you're playing in. Yeah, yeah, I think those are really good uh, points of advice. Is Maybe to that point, is there one or two brands that you think of maybe that you're a customer of or that you just kind of had been um, admiring from afar that you feel like are just completely nailing customer experience today? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's challenging to be perfect all the time, but I some that are really good. And in, in my opinion are, uh, I think Apple does a great job. Um, I think Lululemon does a great job. And the one that I'll never forget is Amazon, which, you know, I buy enough from Amazon that of course they've had opportunities to miss, but generally they don't. And I just, there was one interaction, I've been a customer of theirs since, I don't know, 2006 or so. Um, but there was one interaction I had with their support team where I was just calling to figure out why an item was delayed. Yeah. And they offered me a credit or gave me a refund. And it was $20. I didn't ask for it. They just did it. Yeah. And that has given me huge advocacy towards them. And one time I did an export of, you know, how much money I've spent with Amazon over the years. And it made me stick to look at it all at once. But um, that, I, that I think speaks to the lifetime value is if I know what I'm going to expect and if I know that I'm going to get taken care of if something goes wrong, because things don't always go right. It's not always the brand or retailer's control um, that it's going to be made right at the end of the day. So that, that's really what I admire is no brand is perfect. 
Yeah. But when something bad happens or unexpected happens, uh, things are made right. And I've seen the, that quality with actually quite a few retailers, but those three stand out uh, at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree. It's kind of scary to think about how much money we've all spent on Amazon over the <laughs> Uh, but it was fascinating. We we just finished up our Accelerate event here in Salt Lake City. Um, oh my gosh, it was last week, I guess. Um, and pretty fascinating to listen to one of the retail analysts that came on stage and talked about that notion of trust and put up on the screen for everyone as you know, they've been running research for years at this point. To show and Amazon, you know, surprising or not, was one of the most trusted brands, specifically around the concept of private or personal information. And if you think about it, they really are in a position to wield a lot of power regarding all of our transaction history, our viewing history now, in some ways our surfing history, because so much of the internet backbone now runs on AWS as well certainly our, our, you know, browsing history and, and everything like that. So uh, I think to your point, it's a testament of the trust that takes a long time to build and not that long to erode and uh, the importance for us all. Well, this has been, you know, such a cool conversation. Maybe help us understand because, again, you're a co-founder and now you've been in this position of truly building products, but also building a company, hiring, firing, leading, uh, all that sort of fun stuff. What is like your top leadership principle that you'd like to adhere to or espouse that you think has made a, a big difference in the growth and trajectory of your organization that you've helped build? I'm really glad you asked that. I, a few months ago, I actually did a presentation at the university here, which was, they, they did recently rebrand from Dixie State University to Utah Tech University. And the presentation was to their uh, a student leadership group and something that I feel is critical in leadership I mean there's many things I'll, I'll touch on a couple but I'm sure many people have seen it there's the image of boss versus leader and it's a group of people pulling a stone I mean think about like building the pyramids in Egypt right and the leader is down on the ground with a rope tied to the block, pulling with the team. And the boss is someone sitting on top of the block, barking and pointing which way for them to go, which, you know, there's a, a few things within the image. If you haven't seen it, you could point out like the demeanor of the, the boss versus the leader, the demeanor of the people they're working with. And also the fact that the boss is making it harder by sitting on the stone instead of pulling with them. So one, I, my, number one thing that I try to do as a leader is empower my team to be successful. And a lot, of, there's a lot of trust that goes into that. Um, and I, I want it to be mutual trust, but I also want them to know that it's okay to fail or make mistakes. No one's perfect. I fail and make mistakes as long as we're working together, have each other's back and are learning from them. Um, I, I think part of your job as a leader is to help individuals grow. And if, the team that you're leading or individuals that you're leading are afraid to make a mistake because of inherent consequences, you're really putting a ceiling on their growth, but also a lot of what we've talked about during this conversation, which is innovation. We want to move 
fast. And I, I think that's a requirement to be innovative, innovative and stay innovative. And when you move fast and you're doing new things that are brand new to the market or have never been done a certain way before, you're going to make mistakes. There are going to be failures and you have to have each other's back and lift each other up. Um, and a lot of that is communication, direct communication and making sure people know exactly where they are, where they're doing well, where they can improve. And I crave that type of feedback myself and having that type of ecosystem really results in people that you do trust and would do anything for the, the amount of hard things I've seen our team overcome due to having great teamwork is mind-boggling to me and a lot of it doesn't happen if you were to observe it over a period of a week you may not be able to observe a lot but if you were to observe it over a period of a quarter or a year or five years it's amazing to see the growth that teams or individuals have when you empower them to uh, push the limits and grow and do hard things. Yeah, well, I couldn't agree more. And I think it's a, a great way to kind of put a pin in this. Well, where can folks learn more about the company? And, uh, you know, what, what would you recommend if folks are interested in, in international cross-border commerce? Uh, how should they find you? Yeah, I'd say a great way to find us is our website, zonos.com, Z-O-N-O-S.com. Uh, we have very thorough documentation on our products as well as the APIs. Um, depending on how you're selling, we have plugins for many of the top e-commerce platforms. Um, but I recommend going to our website. Uh, if you're looking to connect with myself directly or any one of our team, LinkedIn, of course, is ideal. But Zonos.com is the best place to learn more about us and what we do. That's fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you joining the show today and um, good luck with everything moving forward. We're definitely navigating some turbulent times right now, uh, but leadership and technology has never been more important. So I appreciate the work that y'all are doing uh, to contribute to the industry and I hope to see you on the show again soon. Feelings are mutual. Thank you for having me on, John. All right. Appreciate it. Take care. You too. Thank you.